Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. All right, so we are continuing in our series called King James. So we are continuing our series on the book of James and going through, and we are actually studying the book of James together. Um, And so we are jumping into part two today. Last week, we really wanted to set the foundation for our series, and we shared this foundational verse to the book of James, and that is found in James chapter one, verses 12. That is the foundational verse of this book. And here's what it says. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Everybody say trial. Because having stood the test, everybody say test. So he is, there's a correlation between the two, the trial, the test. The trial is the test. And he's saying, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So this is the foundational verse to the book of James. Last week, we also learned a few things about James, right? James is not only our teacher for this series, but some other things that we learned about James is that James is the half-brother of Jesus, James was also not a believer in Jesus during the ministry of Jesus. So like we talked about a typical sibling giving one of their siblings a a hard times. James was not a believer during the ministry of Jesus. And actually he and his brothers who also weren't believers were really trying to provoke Jesus to act out his, uh, his messiahship. In other words, they were trying to get him to in, in some sense prove that he was who he said he was. Um, but of course, Jesus was basically saying, it is not my time just yet. But James was not a believer at first. James um, is believed to be the writer of this epistle. And so there are other James in the Bible that we see, but we know based on the tone and based on James's authority that he is the writer of this text. Some other things we learned about James last week, James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He presided over this council in Jerusalem where they were debating whether or not Gentiles um, needed to be circumcised in order to uh, in order to be saved. And so James is teaching us that it is not about being circumcised in order to be saved. Some other things that we learned about James is that James does not mention his relation to Jesus in this letter. Right. James does not talk about Jesus being his brother. He does not talk about how James or how he and Jesus are connected. There is no relation that he mentions in this book 
We just know that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus. And that is what he starts the text out with. So these are all things that we learn about James from this first week in our series. Now going, uh, something else that we learned about James and one of the quotes that we focus on um, from this first part of our series is this quote that, um, that, we, that we focus on. And here's what it says. It says, for James, works is a natural result of faith. When a person truly believes in something, he or she will act on that belief. With this letter, James was sounding a wake-up call to all Christians. And what was that wake-up call that James is trying to give to all Christians? It's very simple. Get your life in line with what you believe. Look at your neighbor and say, get your life in line with what you believe. And that's really the purpose of this series, is how do we get our life in line with what we believe. We talked about this last week and we asked ourselves some questions. And one of the challenges I gave to everyone was maybe finding someone in your inner circle, someone that you trust, someone that you love, who can ask you some questions to help you understand if your life is in line with what you believe. And so some of the questions we talked about is, um, for instance, surveying your life, looking at your life as a whole, how much filth and wickedness still remains in our lives, right? That was one of the questions that we asked, that I challenge you to find someone who could ask you that question and you give a real answer to, but also someone that you could challenge as well. Another question that we asked was, how do you behave in the middle of trials, right? If we're wanting to understand if our life is in line with what we believe, the answer to that question is very important. What, how do you behave in the middle of your trials? What do you do? Another question we ask is, where do we go? Who do we turn to when we need advice to make practical decisions, right? Are we looking at the world to make practical decisions? Are we surveying the things around us and the behaviors around us to tell us how we should make decisions? Or are we trusting in God and going to God to make those decisions? Another question, what is a priority for us when it comes to our finances, right? If we want to make sure our life is in line with what we believe, do we live out the biblical principles when it comes to our finances on a day-to-day -day basis? A couple other questions that we ask, are we doers of God's word or just hearers? Again, think about everything scripture teaches us. Do we just read these words or do we take them to heart and are we doers of this word? And then the last thing we challenge ourselves with is what does our prayer life look like, right? If we want to understand if our life is in line with what we believe, look to our prayer lives to give us the answer on that. Because if we are only going to God when things are going wrong, does that line up with, with, the, with the, what the word of God tells us? If we are only going to God when things are going great, does that line up with what the word of God tells us? The Bible teaches us that in all circumstances, we should seek God first. And so those are just some questions that we started last week with to see if our life was in line with what we believe. And really the series as a whole is where we're focusing on, is our life in line with what we believe? Because that is what James really teaches us throughout this book. And not only that, but he answers all of those questions and he gives us the proper perspective as believers on how we should answer all of those questions. One of the, um, James addressed all these questions in this letter and, and today where we're actually gonna start with is that first question or really the second question, what do you, how do you behave in the middle of trials? 
right? Last week, we set the foundation and we really learned a lot about James and what James was trying to communicate. This week, we want to focus on how do we behave in the middle of trials? If, if anything, how should we behave? James is going to teach us how we should act in the middle of our trials. And the goal is really to help us get our lives in line with what we believe, what we, what, what we want to learn from James, what he teaches about these things, and then try to make some comparisons with our own lives and adjust where needed, right? So we're going to start with trials today, and we'll focus on that. As I shared last week, one of the key words for the book of James is actually the word trials. Everybody say trials. If we look at this text that we have on the screen, James makes this correlation between trials and the test. The trials that we experience are really tests that we go through. And if we know anything about tests, whether from grade school or anything, tests are really not given just to see if we'll fail. Tests are really given to see if we've learned what we've needed to learn on one level so that we can make it on the next level. But the key word in the book of James is trials. And it comes from this Greek word, pyramos, which means to test, to try, or to prove. And so today we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 to kind of set the stage for what we want to focus on today. And actually, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. So James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. Here's what verse 2 says, and we'll go through this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. There's that word again. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Another instance where we're looking at the correlation between trials and testing. Verse four, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We'll talk about that idea of asking uh, for wisdom in just a moment. But it says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That is that is just like I, that's that's one of those texts in Scripture where you're like, OK, this is this is real. Like Jesus is not playing. The Bible is not playing games. It's very simple. If you are going to ask for something, really believe and not doubt that what you're asking for could come to pass because, and not only could, but will come to pass. Verse eight of this text says, because such a person who does not believe is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Here's what is interesting about this verse is that what James describes, and if we look, we're actually, let's fast forward to verse 10 because it kind of gives more context. Verse 10, it says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Now, it seems like on the surface that James is trying to make the case that, oh, those who are rich um, are less off than those who are poor and those who are poor should rejoice in those humble circumstances. What James is really trying to say with these two verses, verses 9 and verse 10, is that for both sides, poor or rich, you are also going to have trials. So it doesn't matter which side of the fence you are on or which side you think you're on based on your own personal circumstances, you are going to find yourself in the midst of some type 
of trial. And so it's not to say that it is better to be poor than rich or anything of that nature, but really simply put, either way, you're going to have some trials that you're going to have to face. Verse 11, it says, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Remember that question we asked, how much evil and how much filth and wickedness is still in our lives today? It's kind of like a self-reflection, self-assessment for us to do. How much of this stuff, this garbage, this stuff that does not align with scripture is still in our lives today? It kind of tells the story if you are being tempted or you feel like you're being dragged into something more often than others, think about that question. How much filth and wickedness remains in your life today? And how is that clouding your vision and your view of how you should be behaving as a believer? Verse 15, Then after desire has conceived it, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Our last verse here. He chose to give birth through the word of truth that we might be be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So this is our setup for today when we're talking about trials. James is helping us understand how we should behave in the middle of our trials and the testing that we experience. Let me, um, let me back up for just a moment just because uh, our, part of our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, right? And that is, there's so many different layers to that. Not, not only growing closer to one another in community, not only growing closer in our personal relationships, but also growing closer in how we understand God's word. And so I want to break something down really quick for us. Last week, we started talking about um, James's authority and why James is in the book of the uh, is in is in the current canon of scripture that we have today and how James's authority was not based on his relation to Jesus as his half brother, but it was based on the fact that he was a believer and an apostle. He might have come after the regular or the original apostles, but he was still a believer in Jesus Christ and was an apostle who carried the word of God. So what is canonization, if you're wondering? In order for each book of the Bible to be included in this New Testament, it has to go through, it has to feature these three criteria points in order to be a part of the canon. One of those things is apostolic origin, which means the book had to be related to an apostle in some way or another. So James, being an apostle, gives him one check, if you will, to be included in the New Testament. Now, you might look at Luke and say, well, Luke was not an apostle, but Luke was connected to the apostles in such a way that his book and the telling and his testament is considered connected to to apostolic origin. 
And so that was one criteria. Another criteria uh, for books to be included in the canon is that it had to be recognized by the church. And so in other words, uh, this principle basically meant that the earliest churches had to recognize that this was authoritative. So you think about the church in Ephesus and Jerusalem and Antioch and Rome and Carthage, they all accepted these books as authoritative. And so the chances are that the church as a whole would have accepted these books if these early churches accepted it. And so James meets that criteria. And then the other part of it is the apostolic content. So did the book's content agree with the doctrine of the apostles? And so with James being an apostle, he checks that book as well. So part of this is helping you understand James's authority, but also helping you grow in your faith and why we trust the scriptures that we have today, because every book meets one of those, or every book meets all three of those criteria. And without that, it can't be included in the canonization of scripture. But another thing that we have to understand when it comes to scripture reading and reading the Bible, and, and we're, we'll get to our main point today, but I want to help us grow in our faith and our understanding of scripture. But another part that we have to understand is this idea of this interpretive journey, and you'll see what I mean in just a moment. But when we read scripture, sometimes it's challenging because we're trying to take what was said in that text and with all of the extra stuff that is culturally sensitive, we're trying to take all of that and make it apply to our life. And we're basically jumping from step one to step four in what is called this interpretive journey. I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of theology school right now. There is an interpretive journey that happens when it comes to scripture that we have to be mindful of. And so what I mean by that is that, uh, that when you look at scripture, there are four things that you have to keep in mind. The first thing is that you have to grasp the text in the original town, or you have to consider it for the original people that it was written to. And so when I'm reading scripture, it's very clear that a lot of what's being described is not for me today. I'm not going out and slaughtering no goats. I'm not going out and pouring no blood on nothing. That, that it's just, it's different. And if you are, no judgment, but I, I think we should talk Afterwards, if you're listening to this message and you have someone that you're connected to who is still burning goats on a, a self-created altar, we should talk before you get arrested. Um, but but it, you have to grasp the text in the original town. And what does that mean? It means what did the text mean to the biblical audience? And then the next part of it is measuring this, what, what, is, the, what is called the, the river or measuring the width of the river that we have to cross. And what that means is that you can consider the Bible as like this river or this journey and the original context and, and all of that, consider all of that in the river. And so you have to measure the width uh, to cross that river. So in other words, what is the difference between what is uh, to the original audience and us? Like, what is that difference? What is the difference between them and us? One of the clear differences that we understand is that scripture and the people of Israel are our physical Israel or original Israel, and we are spiritual Israel. And so there's going to be some principles that apply to us spiritually, but not everything applies to us on a physical basis. And so we have to understand what is that river that we have to cross. In other words, what are the differences? The other part is then crossing that bridge. And what does this mean? It means what is the theological principle from the text? Like what is the thing 
even though all this other stuff kind of clouds it and makes it feel difficult to apply it, what is the singular theological principle that we want to take from the text? And then the last thing is to grasp the text in our own town. How should Christians today apply the theological principle to our lives? So that is like the interpretive journey that you want to go through when you're reading scripture. Those four things. I need to understand what this meant for them. I need to understand what is the the things that I need to kind of skip over and cross over and understand the differences. I I need to understand what the principle is, and then I need to apply it to my life. Why, why are we talking about this? Uh, it's because, number one, I want to help you grow in your faith, obviously. But number two, James in this book, is he's speaking to the 12 tribes that were scattered across Rome. And so he's speaking to a specific audience. They were scattered, and he was writing the Jewish Christians across this Roman Empire. So he is speaking to this different audience. And so uh, the other part that we have to understand is that wherever Jewish people went, they were oftentimes shunned or neglected or persecuted. And so this is why James is talking about this idea of trials. And so he's trying to help this original audience understand how they should behave in the midst of the trials. But the theological principle that we can pull from it is that you too, as believers, are going to go through trials. When a Jew took uh, took on the faith of Jesus Christ, there was additional reasons for them to face persecution. And so what is the difference between them and us? We don't have the same type of persecution that these people were facing. So if you can kind of understand why it was so urgent for James and why this book was so important for James to communicate to the people during this day is because they were being killed off just for being followers of Jesus Christ. So James begins his letter by describing uh, their faith as tried by fire. And he says, consider it as great joy whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now we know that we aren't actively persecuted in the same way that these people were. At least here in America, we don't face that same persecution. We can be open about our faith, and in some cases, it is against the law for someone to treat us a certain way on the basis of our faith as well, especially in the workplace. And so we have a different type of persecution. There are other places around the world that do have to experience this type of persecution that is very similar to the people in their day where they have to hide their Bible reading and they have to hide their faith and they have to have church underground. And so we are blessed in that we don't have to experience that. However, I do believe that there is an effort to rid culture of Christ-like values unless it is lucrative for those people. And what do I mean by that? If you are in any environment or the workplace and someone is done wrong, someone might speak up and say, oh, you should, you should use the golden rule. Remember the golden rule. Does anyone know what the golden rule is? The golden rule that people will say is treat others the way you want to be treated. This is actually scriptural. This is not like someone made this up or someone very popular in culture made this up. No, this is from scripture. And so there is an effort to rid culture of Christ, except when it, when it produces some sort of benefit for other people. 
And so because I want to be treated, uh, uh, because I'm going to treat someone the way I want to be treated, I'm going to call this the golden rule. That works for me. And that is a great way to behave. But people forget that it is actually scriptural. In other words, I feel like culture is looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. And so while we are not persecuted the same way the early church was, we do experience this effort of changing the values of our country and as people to fit a secular context and and getting further and further away from one nation under God, right? Like it sounds nice. We'll say it because it sounds good, but when it comes time to live it out, it's a different story. And so while we are not persecuted in the same way, we do have this sort of persecution that's happening and and this getting away from, from Christian values that is occurring. And so um, we have to understand this theological principle of behaving under trials because everything that we experience today is going to be a trial. Every every test, everything that we go through, we, we can consider that as a trial. Here's a quote that I really love. It says, living as an effective, living an effective Christian life in a sinful world means we must learn how to respond to all types of trials and testing. I'll say that again, living an effective an effective Christian life in a sinful world means we must learn how to respond to all types of trials and testing. And this is what James is teaching us through chapter one. He's helping us understand as Christians, we're applying this theological principle to our life. If we wanna be effective Christians in a sinful world, we have to learn how to respond to all types of trials. And so James, what he really does is he gives us six key points for us to understand when it comes to trials to help us be effective in this world of sin. Here's the first thing that he tells us. He says uh, that trials are inevitable. Trials are inevitable. And so my response to James telling us that trials are inevitable And our teaching to you today, a point that you can write down is be prepared for them. Be prepared because the reality is that you are going to face some trials. Now, if you have somehow made it through the majority of your life without a real trial, then be prepared because it is coming. It is coming. It is hard to escape this life without experiencing some kind of trial. And so here's what James says. Again, consider it pure joy when, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And so what he's really saying is that whenever he is instructing us and this Jewish audience to expect affliction and trials as Jesus instructed his disciples that they would be persecuted and even martyred for their faith. And so James is trying to communicate the same thing for us expect trials to come. Here's what John chapter 15, verse 18 through 25 says. It's a long text, so bear with me. James chapter 15, verse 18 through 25. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, right? Look at your neighbor and say, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Thanks, Jesus. This is nice to hear. 
if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. This is a big if. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So if Jesus was hated on without reason, you can expect not just your neighbors, not just your coworkers, not just even your family members, but you can expect the enemy to hate on you also. And as a result, you are going to face trials. It is inevitable. So be prepared for them. Becoming a Christian, and I, and I apologize for anyone who doesn't know this or anyone who, who maybe just prayed a prayer of salvation and gave their life to Christ. I apologize because what I'm going to say is probably going to burst this bubble that has been created. But becoming a Christian does not mean automatically that you are excluded from difficulties. That is not the reality of being a believer. You do not become a Christian and all of a sudden everything is great and you're floating on cloud nine. That is not the way that it works. I'm sorry. The proper attitude in meeting adversity is to count it all joy. Like that is what James is telling us. The reality is that it's going to happen. And so my response has to be counting it as Joy. I say this often and I'll repeat it again, but it is oftentimes not what happens to you that is important, but it's how you respond to what has happened to you that is important. So it's not the trial, it's not the affliction, but it is your attitude while you're going through that. And James says to count it all joy. And this is not an emotional reaction because if we wanted to react emotionally, we would be terrified or we would be upset or we would be angry or we would be mad if it was about emotion. But it is a deliberate assessment of the situation that you're going through and it is choosing, it is deliberately choosing to see the situation you're going through from the perspective of Jesus. It is, that is the choice that you have to make. If you are gonna count it as joy, I mean, some of the stuff we go through is hard to count that as joy. And so it absolutely takes effort, a deliberate effort to see it from God's perspective, which means that I'm going to view this trial as a means of some sort of spiritual growth, right? That is, that is the way that you kind of make that happen. And it is easier said than done, but the way that you count it all joy is by looking at the circumstance and thinking to yourself, what is the spiritual growth that is going to happen from this trial? So we have to be prepared for them because they're going to come and we have to have the right attitude in the midst of them. Here's what uh, A.W. Tozer says. He says, it is doubtful, and this is such a real quote, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish the deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. This is graduate level grace. This is like getting a master's or PhD in being a Christian. This is graduate level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? 
Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom. For he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. So if you are trying to see it from God's perspective and you are understanding it as some means of spiritual growth, then you can also understand that to mean that what you're experiencing right now is to help you to, to accomplish the next level that God has for you. Everything that you learn in this test is meant to help you for the next one. And so you have to make a concerted effort to watch and be prepared for the tests that's coming. A.W. Tozer, he finished that quote. He says, you must pass the test first. In order to get to the next level, you have to pass this test. So we have to be prepared for them. The next thing about trials that we have to understand and how we behave in the middle of our trials is we have to not be surprised by them. Don't be surprised by them. Trials are part of the Christian experience. Trials are a part of life. Think about your experience coming to know Jesus, right? Just for a moment, take a, take a minute and think about all of your experience in coming to know Jesus. Now, this is harder for some than others because some of us, we learned about Jesus because we were wilding out. Some of us, we learned about God because we were on our last leg or our last dollar and we needed something. And we just threw out a lifeline. We didn't even know if it was he was real or not. We just threw it out there and thought, okay, if you're real, then you're going to come through. And like Jesus does, he came through in that moment. Others of us have grown up with the faith. And so we have seen God from uh, the lens of our parents from one end. And we are now learning to see God through our own lens. But think about their experience coming to know Jesus and how great it was. And, and some of us, uh, we were going through great lows. And just by coming to know Jesus, we experienced these great highs. And for some of us, it was the first time we experienced being saved by someone. We had longed for someone to be our caretaker and to love us and to care for us. And we found that in Jesus. In that moment, we experienced acceptance, right? Like this is our experience for some people. And so those are great experiences. Just like we remember those experiences and how great that felt, we also have to remember that trials are just as important to our experience as those early experiences coming to know Jesus. In the same way that we remember where we were when we prayed that prayer of salvation or where we got saved, we have to remember that trials are a part of this experience. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And he adds a little emphasis on that. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Again, don't be surprised. It's not anything strange. It's a part of the experience. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Hey, can I pause for just a moment and remind people that if you are in culture, in, if, you are, uh, if you are connecting with people who don't know Jesus or don't love Jesus, and you are adamant about bringing Christ to those spaces, do not feel insulted when someone rejects you for your belief. Do not feel like, uh, like, man, these people don't like me. They don't want to be friends with me. Do not feel insulted. But 
understand that you are blessed because you are pushing forward the name of Jesus Christ. Because the spirit of glory and the God rests upon you is what it says. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. In other words, don't, don't get out of line. Don't be acting crazy. It, suffering is good, you know, especially if you're suffering for Christ. At the end of the day, if you go off and you do your own thing and you cause your own affliction, just go ahead and rest in that. Just go ahead and, and, and live in that one. But when you are suffering for Christ, um, count it as a blessing. Verse 16 of that text, it says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So, so Peter, James, they're all reminding us not to be surprised when we go through a trials. And we do that sometimes, right? Like when we go through things, it's like, man, I can't understand why this is happening. And oh my goodness, why is this going on? At the end of the day, shouldn't you, shouldn't you know that it's gonna happen? Especially when things are going well. The enemy loves to get you when things are going well. He loves to get you when things aren't going well because that's where you're vulnerable also, but he loves to get you when things are going well because he knows that if things are going well for you and you are connecting those positive things in your life to God, he would love nothing more than to come in and make all of that, all of that go away for you. And so he loves to catch you when things are going well. So regardless of our situations, we can't be surprised by the trials because we know, like, listen, this is going to happen. Peter tells us, look, it's not something strange. It's just part of the experience of being a Christian. So not only should we uh, be prepared, right? So we should be mindful that these things are going to happen and be prepared, standing on God's word, being mindful of, of our attitude when things happen, but we should also not be surprised by them. The next thing that James teaches us about trials and tests is that we have to stay ready for them. Stay ready for them because there will be many trials. So just because you go through one thing does not mean that's it. That is not it. There are more things to come. Aren't you excited about that? right? Aren't you excited that, that you get through a test and it challenges you and it breaks you physically and mentally and spiritually? And once you get over that, you get to do it all over again, right? Isn't this exciting? It, it is hard to be joyful, but James tells us, count it all joy. But we have to stay ready for them because we know there's going to be many trials. In other words, many kinds and many sources of trials. And so staying ready means being alert, being alert about your surroundings, being alert about people, being alert about the enemy, being mindful that trials will come from many different angles, many different sources. The friends that you once thought were friends who are now snitching on you at work because you came in two minutes late. That's, that's a trial that you're going to have to get through. The financial trials, the things that you experience when it comes to just your mental ability and your faith. And you thought at one end I was strong and I could handle any type of mental challenge that came my way. All of a sudden you're dealing with anxiety and depression. All trials will come from different sources. So you have to stay ready for those things. Just because you overcome a trial on one level does not mean that you have won the war. Think of your trials and the reason why you have to stay ready. Think of your trials as a battle within the war. 
right? And so if you are going to war, you recognize that every, uh, every part of that war is a battle. And so I have to not only win that part of the battle, but I have to continue to move forward because I know that another battle is coming. And so I have to stay ready. It's not just about the one fight, but it's about the continuous fight that happens. And I'm not just talking about like fist fights or someone verbally, you know, some verbal or physical altercation. There are many types of trials, financial, business. If your business is not taken off the way you expected it to, if you're experiencing some sort of spiritual warfare, once you've started to live for Christ, this is what I'm talking about. Trials will come. Cultural trials will come. Family trials will come. I have a coworker who uh, was telling me they were out of work this week because they were dealing with the family situation. And I won't say any names just in case that person is listening or other people who work there are listening. Uh, But this person was describing that they were dealing with the family situation that they could only characterize as spiritual warfare. And this is, I love these kind of conversations at work because it's like, man, like we're supposed to be talking about HR stuff. And here we are talking about Jesus. I love it. But they were telling me that, man, I think there's some spiritual warfare happening because all of a sudden their relative started experiencing uh, double personalities and they started going back and forth between being cognizant of who they were and their surroundings to all of a sudden not recognizing people. And not only that, but lashing out at people. And so they started to experience almost almost like uh, they were bipolar. They were aggressively bipolar and it was like switching on and off like a light switch. And they were describing this as spiritual warfare. And one of the things that they described is that this is the first time this person has ever experienced this. And it was like, whoa. But that is, that is to be expected. It's like the moment that you least expect it, things will happen. And, and it, it's a trial or a test that you now have to get over. So one of the things they were describing is that as a family, we recognize it's going to be a long road of a lot of prayer, a lot of handholding, a lot of checking in, because we recognize that this is not going to be just a quick fix. And so in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm joining my faith with yours because I can only imagine how challenging that is. But I've had a very similar experience that uh, as I was thinking about this message reminded me of that. I'll never forget uh, the job that I have right now. It was like the first day, the first day you go in, right? You get dressed up and you just trying to prove something. You wearing suits and you ain't never wore a suit in your life, but you trying to prove like, no, I'm a good hire. But the first day I went in, I was ready to go. We get halfway through the day and I get a phone call. And that phone call was interesting because it was a phone call to tell me that my son, who was three at the time, had a seizure. And this kid over here, who's just sitting here well and everything is going fine, but he had a seizure and it was one of the first times this has ever happened. And I started thinking like, man, why is this happening? Not today, not the first day that I have to be at this new job. So I end up having to leave and walk out in the middle of the day. And I felt so terrible. But as I was driving there, 
I felt like God was just reminding me of this scripture, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It was almost like a faith check in this moment. I was on this high of, man, I got this great job that paid me more than what I was making before. And simultaneously with this great high, I'm experiencing this great low where I'm like, man, what is going on with my kid? And so it just reminded me that in the midst of things going great, things going terrible, I have to stay ready because trials will come at any time. They come in all shapes and sizes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 15 is a very familiar passage of text that we've read, and it talks about putting on the full armor of God. It says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this is very true. Continues on, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if, it doesn't say it might, but it says when it comes, when it comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Anybody else thinking about Donnie McClurkin? Uh, but stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So all of this is very true. Being ready, the, the principalities and the wars and the things and the flesh and blood, all of that is so true. But one of the things that I want to point out about this text is that standing in this text is not a passive action. It is not telling you to just stand and wait for it to come. But in the, in the context of staying ready for the war, for the war, this is telling you to stand in multiple ways, but it is all very much not passive. In verse 11, it says to stand against. This means to hold at bay aggressively or to stand in front of and oppose. So it doesn't mean to just stand there and let the, let the battle wash over you. It means that you need to stand your ground aggressively. It means that you need to be fighting back. You need to be working to oppose and wrestle. In verse 12, it means to engage actively in one-on-one -on -one combat. So there's multiple times that it mentions to stand within this passage of scripture, but none of it is this passive, let me sit back and watch. In verse 13, it means to be found standing after an active battle and being ready for the next battle. And so that is the, the, that is the lesson that we have to take from this, this text. Yes, we have to understand that is, this is a spiritual battle, but we also have to understand that it is not a battle that we should stand passively and watch, but we should be ready and war ready. There's a, there's a wonderful quote. Uh, that, that is very simple, and you've heard it before, but it says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you are recognizing that you should be prepared for these battles to come at every turn, you don't have to get ready at that point. The next thing that James teaches us about trials is that we should not give in to them. Do not give in to them. The trials will test your faith. 
They will. And, and you, can, you can be a super Christian all you want. And you can think like, oh, no, the, no, nothing that will ever happen to me. I'll never lose my faith. Let the right battle come and hit you in the face. And then tell me if you are thinking twice about this faith that you have. There's been many of experiences in my life where I felt like, is this, is this did we choose the right religion? Like, is this the, is this the one that we should have been going with? Like, what's, what's up with this? What's up with this Buddha dude? Like, what, it, like, what's, because you go through things and it's like, man, like me, not me. Like, I love you, Lord. Like, wouldn't you like, help me out here. But you experience certain things and you think like, man, I shouldn't be going through this, but no, you should. And, and as a matter of fact, take it a step further. Not only do you experience a battle, but that battle is meant to test your faith. It's very simple. If you tell someone that you love them, but you never show it, how can they truly believe that you love them? If you say you have faith in God, but never have to demonstrate it based on a battle that you go through or a test that you go through, how does God truly know that you love him? How do you truly know that you love God, except for when you go through a battle and how you respond to that battle? Tells you all you really need to know, right? James chapter one, verse three through eight, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. This, um, this original, even this text itself, this, the original language, all of it describes a testing of faith. All of it describes a testing of faith. It's, it's, it is uh, the, the, what is described as the core, relation, the core of your relationship with Jesus will be tested when you go through these battles is really what James is trying to tell us. And it, it, is, it is about the individual. And it's almost like this, this test of, are you going to give up your faith easily? Right? When you face something that's really hard, are you going to give up your faith easily when it's tested? And, and it, it is a, it's about helping you understand, like, do you truly believe? Or, or is there some area within your faith or life that you need to work on, right? Like, if it's, if, if it's easy for you to have second thoughts about your faith because you didn't get a job or because someone didn't call you back or because someone uh, who is human by nature turned their back on you and didn't want to be friends with you. If it is easy for you to lose your faith as a result of those simple things, then it should be some sort of indication that you have some work to do when it comes to your relationship with God. You've got a little bit of work to do. Maybe there's a little bit more scripture reading that needs to take place to help you understand who God is and, and, and what God says about you. Maybe there's a little bit more praying that you have to do. Maybe there's a little bit more community that you need to get yourself immersed in. Because if you go through those simple things and you start having second thoughts, that there, there's some indication that you've got some work to do. When James talks about asking God if you lack wisdom, um, this, is not like, this is not like intellectual knowledge, 
right? This is not like, oh, if I can't figure out what 2,000 times 453 million is, then I need to ask God for that. Sure, if you want to pray for that, go for it. But he's not talking about intellectual knowledge here or some philosophical speculation. Why is the, the grass green and what is photosynthesis? He's not talking about that kind of wisdom that you're lacking because nine times out of 10, we can't accurately describe what photosynthesis is anyway, but he's not talking about that kind of wisdom. What he's really talking about is helping. If you need to understand why you are going through a trial, ask God. If you are lacking wisdom and spiritual understanding when you're facing a trial and the purpose of the trial as a whole, this is where you should be asking God. So in the midst of your trial, I should be asking God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to, to get me to understand? What is this test that you're taking me through? What is it that you are trying to do for me? And so not only should we expect the trial, not only does it produce perseverance, but if we are lacking the wisdom and understanding spiritually what is happening, we should be asking God about that. And we should do it with all sincerity. Like we should go into it really praying and contemplating like, Lord, what is this trying to produce in me. If you go through something and you can't understand why you're going through it, just ask God. That's what James is telling you. Just ask God. Before you start getting upset and having an emotional reaction to it, take a step back, take a breather, ask God, what are you trying to show me? Now, he may not give you the answer right away. Like, and that's just the frustration, frustrating reality with God sometimes is that it's just, you don't get the answer you're looking for right away. And, and, and if you are like me, sometimes he will show it to you in like pictures and, and signs and certain things. And then other times it might be more audible for you where you start hearing God speak to you and tell you what he's trying to take you through. But it can be frustrating because you don't get the answer right away. But if you're asking and you're sincerely wanting to know what God is trying to produce in you, he will show you the bigger picture. God does not God does not answer that type of prayer condescendingly. He does not look at you like, oh, you idiot. Like, don't you know? Like, this is what's going on. He does not answer it like, well, I am God. You should not ask me any questions. He answers your question with, with love and care. And it's a teachable moment. And so if you are lacking that wisdom, ask God and he well, give even this God who created the universe still wants to lovingly respond to you, even if it's with some sort of corrective action. Even if our behavior just hasn't been in line and God is showing us something where we need a change, even in those moments where he's correcting us, he does it so lovingly, even as this God of the universe. And so if we are lacking any wisdom when it comes to our trials, we should ask. Don't give in to your trial. Don't, don't let the trial get the best of you. Don't make it feel like you are inadequate or like you shouldn't be a Christian or a believer. Don't give in to these tests when things are not going your way, when it feels so terrible and it feels like you're just being crushed and perplexed on every side. Remember that God is still watching. God is still, God is still aware of every single thing that you're experiencing. We've talked about this in the past weeks, but we don't have to wake God up. We don't have to move God to action. God is actively watching everything that's going on in your life. He sees all of it. And so don't give in to the trial. When you're facing something, don't, don't be so caught up in the thing that you're facing that it causes you to crumble. 
but really live a life of faith. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, God knows our situation. He will not judge us, judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them. So he knows every challenge and every situation that we are going to face. So don't give in to your trials. The next thing, and we got two, uh, this one and one more um, for what James teaches us about trials. When it comes to our trials, we have to learn something from them. Trials are learning opportunities. Look at your neighbor and say, it's an opportunity. It is an opportunity to learn. It is an opportunity to be crushed. It is an opportunity to be perplexed. It is an opportunity to go through something that is challenging, that tests your faith. Remember the quote that we read from A.W. Tozer earlier, that that test that you're going through is meant to see how you will do and to push you forward in the next level of the kingdom. So it is an opportunity to have my faith challenge. It is an opportunity for me to go through something that doesn't feel good to me, but on the other end of it is good for me. It is an opportunity to go through those things. Believe it or not, there is purpose for every trial and every test that we go through. And how, how do we know this? Because James tells us, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So there is a purpose for every trial that we go through. There is, we don't ever go through something just for the sake of going through something. And if that has been your experience, then I would challenge you to ask yourself the next time you go through something, what am I going to learn from this? Or on the other end of it, do some sort of retrospective. There's what we might call a, uh, anytime you do project work, they call it a, a post-mortem, where you are looking at, there's a pre-mortem and there's a post-mortem. The pre-mortem, before you set out to do a project, you ask the question, how can this go wrong? This is for all the students, uh, no matter what grade, this is actually a very good point. No matter what project you begin to work on, ask yourself, group project, individual project, do a pre-mortem, ask yourself, how can this go wrong? How can this project fail? And this happens before you do any work. Before you do anything, you're asking, how will this fail? And when you answer that question before the project, then the goal is that you're setting out in doing the project and you are trying to correct all of those things because you've already thought beforehand, how can this fail? So maybe you do that when you're going through a trial. You're asking yourself, man, what is, I, I feel it coming on. I feel this spiritual warfare. What am I going to learn from this? I feel like people are acting up. People are starting to get out of line. People are starting to, starting to be finicky again. Uh, so what am I going to learn this time? I feel like that person that I said I was never going to be friends with again or never talk to again, but I went back on my word because they borrowed, they let me borrow their shoes and they purse. I, now here we go again. So what am I going to learn from this experience or do a postmortem where after you've gone through something, ask yourself, where did it fail? What went wrong? And how can I correct it the next time? Either way, you should be asking and trying to understand what am I learning from these trials? When, when you are tested, this, this, is, uh, this helps your spiritual growth. Testing will make, like the scripture says, testing will make 
the Christian mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Everything you experience is to that end goal, to make you mature, complete, and lacking nothing. We should never enter a battle and leave with only the frustration of having gone through the battle. That should never be our experience. That should never be the takeaway. The takeaway should never be, ah, I went through that again. Man, the takeaway should always be something that you've learned from this experience. I think as Christians, we have this misconception that we won't experience hardship or uh, because we believe in Jesus, like these things shouldn't be happening to us. But the reality is that professional race car drivers still get into crashes right? They still lose a lap or a, a race. Professional basketball players still lose, and, and they're professionals. You as an amateur, you would lose every time you face them. But the reality is that in their profession, they still lose. They still go through hardships. They still have down seasons. And so if we think as Christians, we are not going to experience the same kind of thing, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of being a believer, we are wrong. The reality is that we have to learn from the battle. And so just like in professional sports, when I lose a game, I go back and I watch the film tape. I go back and I try to assess what has happened that has caused us to lose. Or if I'm on a trend or a losing streak, what is causing us, what in our behavior is causing us to lose this game? So when I'm going through my trials, when I've experienced them, what within that trial should help me for the next battle? What am I trying to learn? What is the lesson that God is trying to get across to me? Instead of, uh, it, here's what James says in, in chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. And I think this is important for us. Um, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And so it's important for us to not look at our trials and the moments when we're tempted and, and think that everything is a result of God. Every, oh, this is all God. God, what is it? There are some moments where it is just, it's your own fault. Can we own that sometimes? That, man, I, I put myself in this position. Now, the, the beauty of God and, and what is wonderful about God is that he helps you out of that situation. That is, that is what is great about God is that even when you have gotten yourself and backed yourself into a corner, God is there to help us. Instead of God tempting us or instead of thinking that God is tempting us at every move and every corner, think just what is God teaching us? What is God trying to show me? A lesson about myself, a lesson about my faith, a lesson about him. What is he trying to show me? No matter what I experience, if I go through it myself, still, as God is helping me through this, what is he trying to teach me about myself? I always think, every now and again, I always think like, man, what am I learning about God? Right? I think this is so helpful to, to pause and have a reflective moment in your life where you sit back and you just ask the question, what is God teaching me? And sometimes when like pastors will text me, you know, how's it going? But to be honest, like sometimes the conversation is very churchy. And it's like, I just, I, 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 I'm going through a battle right now. <laughs> Can we talk about that? And, and sometimes I'll just ask the question, especially if the conversation is real churchy. I'll just ask the question, like, what is God teaching you? Like, what are you learning about God? Like, what are you experiencing that is showing you a different side of God? And I think this is really healthy for us as believers, because if we're never learning anything about God, about God's nature, about what he's trying to do for us or 
what he's trying to show us about him, then I think we need to look more intently into our lives and the things that we're experiencing. We should, we should be learning. We should be learning constantly, continuously learning from the things that we experience and learning from God. And not only do we need to learn from it and learn the, 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 the things that God is trying to teach us, but we need to learn also how to apply those lessons to our life so that, so that it does produce uh, some fruit, so that it does make us more mature. You can only become mature when you have learned from the lessons that you've experienced. That is where maturity happens. You fall, you scrape your knee. Oh, shoot, I know I, don't, I, don't, I can't do that again. And so you learn the next time you're riding your bike in a certain area, oop, let me go the other way because I fell last time. Or, or maybe I need to cross it a different way because this happened. You, you are mature when you are learning from your experiences and you take that into the next experience. The last thing that James teaches us, again, we're learning how to behave in the middle of our trials. The last thing that James teaches us is don't be discouraged by your trials. Consider your trials pure joy. Consider your trial. And, and let, me just, let me just make this clear. It is not the trial itself that you are considering pure joy. It is the fact that it will, will produce a certain result that you want to consider as pure joy. In other words, be thankful for the trial that you experience because of what it's going to produce in you. That is what James is trying to say. He's not saying like you should rejoice every time you go through spiritual warfare. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you should rejoice in the fact that your spiritual warfare produces some sort of result that is going to help you grow as a believer. And so it is not to rejoice in the trial itself, but to rejoice in the fact that it's going to produce a result. Going back to our, our uh, main text for this series in James chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you needed some motivation or encouragement, as you go through your trials, because they will come, they will happen. If you needed some encouragement or some motivation, it is in that text. That's why it is important. That's why it is foundational to this text, because James is saying that when you go through something, here's what you get having stood the test and the trial. You receive the crown of life. And what we talked about last week, crown of life, eternal life. You're going to go through a lot of things through this life. And if you can stand those things and go through those things and allow your faith to stand firm, there is eternal life waiting for you on the other side of that. But not only that, while you are here, if you can pass each test, every subsequent test pushes you forward in your faith and in your, uh, your life as a believer. And so you have to consider it pure joy when you're facing trials because you know that there's something that is going to come of it. There's some good that is going to happen out of this. Just uh, look at your neighbor and just say, there's some good that's going to come out of this. There's some good. And, and I encourage you that, now, now be thoughtful about this, but I encourage you to tell the person that you're connecting with or, or anyone within your circle as they're going through trials, just remind them, listen, something good is going to come out of this. Something good is going to come out of this. And, and the, the one thing I'll caution is like, say it at the right time. Like, don't be insensitive. Like, 
not in the middle of the street after the car just got T-boned. It's like, well, something good is going to come out of this. I see it in that moment. It's like, no, get away from me. Like, I, I just, now I got to worry about my car. But, but I really want us to be thoughtful about not only saying that, but, but believing that something good is going to come out of this. I am not just going through this for nothing. I know it's frustrating and I know it hurts and I know it feels bad in the moment. But if I can be encouraged that something good is going to come out of this, if I have to say it to myself over and over and over until I believe it, I have to have that perspective and that mindset that this is not, this is this issue or this concern or this test, this is not, this is not it. It is, it is a means to an end. And what is that end? Something good is going to come out of this. I have to really believe that. And I think that's what James was trying to show us when we consider it pure joy. It's not the simple fact that we're going through something, but the simple fact that, man, there is something that this is producing in you that God is going to get glory from. Something that you are going to be able to use, something that's going to make you mature, something that is going to make you a complete Christian. Going back to the sports analogy, um, and then I'll end right here. Uh, one of the things that you, you cannot debate with me because I choose to not debate with you about it is that Kobe is the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't care about any of these other names that rhyme with or that start with J and end with N. I don't care about any of these people. I don't care. I, it, you can't tell me anything differently. And one of the things that I remember about Kobe, before Kobe won a championship, before the Lakers had won uh, championships in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, there was a specific moment in Kobe's career where he was playing the Utah Jazz. And any sports fans know at the late 90s, the Utah Jazz were tough, tough. Went to the finals back to back, lost both times to this second greatest of all time. But they went twice. But leading up to getting to the finals, they played the Lakers. And there was a time where Kobe was trying to come into his own and he was trying to develop as a player. And Kobe took it upon himself to try to wheel his team against the Utah Jazz, past the Utah Jazz in the playoffs. And Kobe shot like three air balls. And I mean, this is not just like preseason where the games don't count. This is like like crunch time. Like if we need a basket is now. And not only did he miss, but he airballed like three times. And it was that moment for him where I think it created something in him. And it didn't discourage him. It didn't deter him from pushing forward in his battles. But essentially what it did is it taught him a lesson. It taught him and it probably pushed him towards, uh, shooting more per day, trying to be more accurate, trying to be more clutch, if you will. But it was that experience that he needed to get to the finals where he ultimately would win. And I think every single trial that we experience, depending on how you behave or how you act after it, it's either an air ball for you, which is fine, or it's you learning how to hit the clutch shot. But either way, it is all helping you towards becoming a better Christian. 
And yes, for all of you who have been saved a long time or feel like you've learned all there is to learn, yes, there is room for you to become a better Christian, a better believer, where you have less moments where you're questioning God about why and you're asking God the what and you're asking God the, the what is the lesson here. And so everything that you experience is somehow aiding or supporting your development. And so maybe you're at the stage in your life now where you're airballing, where you're missing everything. And you're like, I'm angry every time I go through something because I still am having this emotional reaction to it. Whether you're in that position or whether you have figured out that no matter what I experience, man, there's something that this is producing in me and for me and will help others. Doesn't matter which side you're on. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in the middle. I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle teetering back and forth between like, I'm angry. Like, <laughs> why am I going through this? And, ooh, I get it. I understand. Doesn't matter what side you're on. Just don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged by that trial. Don't be discouraged by that thing. Just know that it's producing something in you that God is, is, is going to get glory from. Something good is going to come out of this. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this room. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, All you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrowthchurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call the Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.